So there, there are these words that are they're very famous. You, I'm, I'm almost sure that you've heard them. They, they, they are, I have a dream. I have a dream. They're some of the most well-known words in American history. And, uh, and they weren't even part, this is what's really uh, wild to me, they were not part of Martin Luther King's original manuscript for the speech that he gave some 56 years ago, almost to the day, just like a couple weeks ago, 56 years. And uh, they, they were not even part of the manuscript, and yet it is known as the I have a dream speech. So it's kind of an amazing thing to me. Um, but it was the genius of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, that everything he said before that portion of the speech, it was beautiful. If you've, if you've ever read it or listened to it, it's very beautiful. It's very true. It's very hard. It's very needed to be heard. And uh, yet it was the vision that he cast at the end of the speech that ensured that everything else was heard. It was a vision that he cast at the end of the speech that made sure that the speech didn't disappear into oblivion or onto some historical record. It was the dream that people remembered. It was the vision. And so what is vision? We're talking about, we're launching into a vision series this morning. And so what is vision? And I'm telling you, it is a, this is the way that Andy Stanley, uh, who is, uh, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to vision, whether you like what he has to say or not. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to vision. He, he He describes it this way, a mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. Okay, do, you, do you track with me on that? Vision is just a mental picture of what could be fueled by the passion that it should be. It answers the question, where are we going? That's what, that's what vision answers. And uh, it fuels us as people because it captivates our imaginations. That's how, that's how vision works in our lives. Whatever captivates our imaginations, a, a, a vision of the future primarily, okay? And it focuses our attention. We are vision-fueled beings, and uh, it was Martin Luther King's genius to include this contagious vision of a future where the evil of racism no longer ruled our society. That was the genius, okay? But he only did that. This is really interesting. He only included that in the speech because of the prompting of a woman named Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson, she was a gospel singer. And towards the end of the speech, I don't know if she was just like, uh, uh, just like, hey, nobody's getting it, Martin. But she, she shouts from the crowd. You can hear it uh, if you listen. She says, tell them about the dream, Martin. She, she, he's almost to the end. And she says, tell them about the dream, Martin. And, uh, man, I, I am so far from Martin Luther King Jr. in terms of giftedness or really, uh, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm no Martin Luther King Jr. But I do want to tell you about a dream today. I want to tell you about a dream. That's why we're here, is to talk about a dream. And, and, and you, believe me or not, it's a dream no less noble, no less revolutionary, no less capable of transforming and impacting lives. Too bold? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's even close to being too bold to say the vision that we are going to be talking about is as impactful, especially on your own life. Okay? You tracking with me on that? So over the last season, our elder team, we have, uh, we've been working towards alignment together. We've been working towards that, planning for that, thinking on that, praying towards that, uh, all, all this work towards being aligned as a team around a vision. And recently, we have come to that alignment as a team around a vision for our church, a dream for our church. 
And, uh, and I want to tell you, uh, it's, a, it's a picture that, of what could be fueled by what should be. And even more than that, Andy Stanley, uh, we're believing that God will cause it to be. Not just what could or should be, what we believe God will cause to be with this community of people. That's what we believe. That's what we have aligned around, is a particular vision that is that. And, and I want to tell you, before, I, before we get further in, that is why we are launching into a vision series today. It is not because it's uh, September 8th or the first non-holiday week of September, okay? There's a lot of vision series that are getting kicked off this week in churches all around the country. And I think a lot of them are just because it's fall. And that, that is not why we are doing a vision series. Uh, it's not because we're supposed to. If there was not a new vision that we were aligned around, I, I can tell you this. Uh, if there was not a new answer to the question, where are we going as a church? If there was not a new direction towards which we would focus our attention and our resources, okay, if those things weren't true, then we would not be having this conversation today. We would not be having this conversation. I had made plans for if we had alignment and if we didn't have alignment. I can tell you that it was not vision series part B or other vision series. There was no other vision series. It was just Colossians probably. I like Colossians. It's a great book. But we would not be having this conversation today. So I want you to hear that, that this is why. And so it's momentous for our church. We would be treading water until we found alignment, but we, praise God, are moving forward. And today, I want to invite you in on that journey. Today, I want to invite you into that. I want you, and, and think about it this way. What I want to do this morning is invite you to begin to dream with our elder team. We're going to expand this dream further and further out until every member of our church gets to embody and believe this dream together. Okay? That's what we're doing this morning. Inviting you in to dream the dream. And so um, with that, we, I, I'll tell you, our, our vision for City Church is not a hundred-year vision, okay? I, I started to, man, working through this process, I was like setting out a hundred years, you know? Uh, uh, how, can we, how can we have a hundred-year vision? It's, well, we don't have that. We don't have a hundred-year vision. We don't even have a 20-year vision for our church, okay? Uh, we have a five-year vision for our church. So for five years... All right, that's half of the lifespan of our, our church currently, okay? So um, it would be five years into the future. That's, that's the course that we are trying to chart. Okay, are you tracking with me on this? Um, so five years. And in terms of charting that course, knowing where we're going as a church over the next five years, there's three things I want to look at today together. Okay, there's three things that I want to kind of work, work through as a, a church this morning. And if you're new again here, hey, welcome. You're, you, come, you came on a great Sunday. Okay, even if you're just kind of new, I'm really glad that you're here. Or if you've been around, you're somebody with your hand raised for 10 years. Hey, this is the right day to be here in this conversation, okay? So here's the three things. It's where are we now? What's the first step in the direction that we are going? And what are we ultimately moving towards? Okay, so where are we now? What's the first step in the direction we're heading? And then what are we ultimately heading towards? Those are the three things, all right? And uh, it shouldn't take as long as normal, if that is encouraging to you. All right? Uh, okay, so the context, uh, that's where we're starting from. Every, uh, if you're charting a course, you got to know where you are starting from. All right? Uh, it does me no good to know where a certain restaurant is in terms of getting there if I don't know where I'm starting from. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so I came to this church uh, uh, about 10 months ago. 
My family moved here, and uh, we, we came here with the express purpose of helping discern where God is leading us to and, and helping us to get there. That's why we moved to Fort Worth, this church, okay? And, uh, and so th for the last 10 months, uh, much of what I have been doing is trying to understand where we're starting from. Just trying to get my heart and head in conversations with our elder team, elder team, with all the leaders around City Church, been trying to get into that with you guys and understand where are we starting from so we can understand where we need to go. Okay? Just trying to lay this out for you so it's super clear on your end. What are we even talking about? We're talking about where we are starting from so we can know where we need to go. And I wonder, I just like I wonder if this is going to be a surprise to you or not. For some people, I think it might be, but some people I don't think it will. I wonder if it will come as a surprise to say that uh, where I think we are is in need of revival. Where I think we are as a church is in need of revival. So in some ways, this is why we have a new vision to share with you at all. If there was not a need like this, then, uh, then we wouldn't have a new vision. We are needing something to be sparked in us, and that spark in particular in a word is revival, okay? And uh, somebody actually came to me this morning. We've been praying for this as elders. We've been pray praying as leaders this morning. We've been praying, uh, I've been praying this, this in my own life. And somebody came to me this morning and uh, she said, I've never prayed for revival in my whole life and I'm praying for it this morning and I don't know why. Uh, so I'm believing God's at work in this, okay? And, and a, a need for revival is not an indictment on our church. Hear me on this. It's not an indictment of our church. It's, it's simply the best pastoral diagnosis that I have for where we are in this season. As I'm trying to put, put, get a pulse on uh, our church and understand and live life next to, next to the people in our church and have conversations and listen to other people who are, who are leading, uh, this, it's the best diagnosis that in this season where we are. And it's not just a pastoral diagnosis. Hear me on this. A longing in a pursuit of revival is a pastoral longing that I share with my fellow shepherds of this flock. It's a longing that we have for this flock. It's not just a diagnosis, it's a longing. My longing for the people in our body to be renewed. A longing for them to be strengthened. A longing for you to be set ablaze in the truth and the power of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. And so there are beautiful things about our church. Do you know that? If you're new to this church, you, you may not know this, but it is a beautiful uh, uh, group of people. And uh, not just how we look, um, although that's true, maybe too, uh, except for the guy who's up front. Um, and so, uh, but if you've been around here even for just a little while, uh, my guess is that you've experienced some of that beauty. You, might, you may have experienced some of that beauty in your life if you've been around here for a little while. My wife and I have been driving around Fort Worth lately, and we have all these sort of like uh, mini nostalgias, like mini nostalgic moments where we, uh, where we look at, oh, we just, we, you know, we're, this is our first full fall in Fort Worth. And so we're, we're just still in our, everything's like, oh, this was the first, when we came last year to do this, when we moved here last year, like it's all, it's all like very much like our little one year anniversaries, our Fort Worth anniversaries, you know, if, if you will. And, uh, you know, we're, we've been reminiscing about uh, how God brought us here and then all the good that he's done for us here. You know, you know God's done a lot of good for my family in this place. And um, so much of that good, if not most of it, I would say, has been through the members of this body. 
like I can just track God's grace through different people around Fort Worth, and so much of it has come through this body of people. That really, really cool and really sweet. And so it's because I love you. I love our church. That's why I want revival for us, for you. That's why. It's not, it's not because we don't love you as an elder team. It's because we do. We long for revival in our midst. And so what I, the way I've been saying this is I want for myself and my, for, for my friends in the next season, for, the, for that to be the season of greatest intimacy with Jesus and greatest vibrancy in my faith. Now, I, with our elders, with our leader team this morning, doesn't it seem a little bit bold maybe to even just believe that could happen? For me, it's, this is what I'm believing, for myself and all of my friends, everybody in City Church, that the next season that we walk into would be the season of greatest intimacy with Jesus that you've ever experienced and greatest vibrancy in your faith that you've ever experienced. But what I'm telling you is if that happens, that is revival. You want to know what revival is? It's not an evangelistic crusade. It is a togetherness where God is pouring out his spirit in such a way where the next season we walk into is the greatest season of vibrancy in your faith and intimacy with Jesus that you have ever experienced in your life. If God did that for a whole group of people, that is what revival is. Are you tracking with me on that? Yes. Ford, I can always count on him. Okay. You can do what Ford did, okay? But come on, dude. Okay, so Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, I can't, I seem to go a week without quoting him, okay? He's not, he's, he's very, he's a lot older than me, okay? Uh, he was writing this a long time ago, but what he said in a foreword he wrote about a book on revival. So he's writing this about a book on revival, and he said this, he says, I'm profoundly convinced that the greatest need in the world today is revival in the church of God. My prayer is that as we read it in a reminder, this book that he's writing it forward for, in a reminded of our glorious God and of his mighty deeds in times past among his people, a great sense of our own unworthiness and inadequacy and a corresponding longing for the manifestation of his glory and his power will be created within us. His arm is not shortened. That's an Old Testament way of saying nothing's too hard for God. His arm is not shortened. May this book stir up, and with this, may this message stir up us to plead with him to make bare that arm and to stretch it forth again, that his enemies may be confounded and scattered in his people's hearts. Listen to this. His people's hearts be filled with gladness and rejoicing. Profoundly convinced the greatest need in the world today is revival in the church of God. Not outside the church of God, inside the church of God. So by revival, I do not mean an evangelistic crusade. I mean a special, spirit-empowered, transformative season within a congregation. I think it has implications for the people beyond that congregation. Don't you know that it does? I'm, I'm convinced that it has implications for people beyond that congregation. But those follow the activity of the congregation itself. It's us that we want this for. Our elder team, are try is, we're trying to shepherd this flock that's among us. That's why this is our vision for our church. 
And uh, I don't think we're alone in needing this. I don't think this is a new need, and I don't think we're alone in needing this. Here's, here's why. In wrestling through and praying through and searching for, this is, this is not like a super comfortable season of trying to discern God's vision for our church, like to work that out in our elder team. That's not, it's not like a comfortable thing. I, would, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's not an easy thing. It's a wrestle. It's a praying through. It's a searching for where God is leading our church. I studied some of Jesus' words to his churches in Revelation. So that's where, that's where God led me, was to some of these words to his churches in Revelation. And there's something in his words to the church in Laodicea that I think can help us take the first step to where God is leading us. Okay? And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. Um, and so uh, uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Okay? So you can just track with me and uh, be right here. Okay? Laodicea is the seventh of seven churches that are referenced when Jesus uh, shows up to the apostle John and he's telling, he's giving him these visions, these amazing visions, and then he speaks a word to these seven churches. And, uh, and, and so Laodicea is the seventh church that's addressed. It's the last in, the, in a ring of cities, okay? So there's a ring of cities that really, the geographic kind of, uh, if you're tracking along with where the cities are, okay? So Laodicea ends up being the last along the line of churches. And uh, its modern-day city, where it's located, the modern-day city of Laodicea can loosely be translated Old Fortress. It's an old fort town. And uh, it's a town that's situated at the intersection of some major tra trade routes. And, uh, and here's what's really interesting to me about just the city itself. It's fiercely independent. It's a fiercely independent city situated at some major uh, trade routes uh, that's an old fort town. Here's how I know they're fiercely independent. There's an earthquake in Laodicea. There's an earthquake uh, just in those days, in ancient days, and uh, basically so many of the towns in the Roman Empire needed Rome to come with the, with the cash to rebuild their cities. And uh, Laodicea said, we got this. We got it. We'll rebuild ourselves. Fiercely independent. And so here we are in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14, starting in verse 14, and uh, Jesus speaking to this church in a fiercely independent town he says and to the angel of the church in laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of god's creation just a side note laodicea is like right next door to colossi and so uh, the letter to the colossians where jesus is described as the the, the preeminent one uh, through whom everything is made the beginning of god's creation it's jesus speaking He's, this is what he says. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus is addressing an issue with this church in Laodicea. And it's in his kindness don't you hear him longing for this church to have revival in it? Oh, that you were different. Oh, that something changed. Oh, that there was a spark of revival in your midst. He's addressing an issue with this church, and it starts with their works. You see it? I know your works. How is your faith manifesting itself in your lives? That's where Jesus goes after. He says, hey, I know that your faith is manifesting its, the way it's manifesting itself in your life is ineffective. It's ineffective for the city around you. 
It starts with their works. His assessment is that it's ineffective. It's uh, hot or cold is not our disposition towards God. Just so you know, it's probably like the, the one of the most like misquoted, misused passages ever, uh, because people are like, you should either love Jesus or hate him, and it's like that's. The, um, I don't know why that would be good to hate him. Uh, and so that's not, that's not what Jesus means. He's not like, just make up your mind, get off the fence. He's not, he's not saying that. It's not our disposition. It's the function of our faith in the world around us that he's going after. And so nearby uh, Laodicea, there were uh, um, some hot springs. And so these hot springs would bubble up and they would come over and they would, they would pour out over this cliff and spit out over the cliff. But by the time they did, they were tepid. And so all the minerals would just kind of settle. And so there was this big, nasty kind of like stain on the side of the cliff where water was getting spit out that was lukewarm. And so it's hot. these are hot springs to heal the spiritually sick. You want to know why he wants them to be hot or cold? He wants hot springs to heal the spiritually sick. He wants cold springs in neighboring Colossae. That's where there was cold springs. He says, I want cold springs. Why? To refresh the spiritually weary. But this group of people, they were failing to do either one, to heal the spiritually sick or refresh the spiritually weary. And we have both of these groups around us in Fort Worth, don't we? People who are spiritually sick and then people who are spiritually weary. Both of them are around us in Fort Worth. Fort Worth is unique in the sense that it's very much like a, um, a place where uh, the name of Jesus is very well known. He's just not very known, right? There's a lot of religious values in our town, but they're based, they're, they're just values-based faith. It's not Jesus-based faith. And so people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, then they are just exposed, inoculated with these religious values, or they are allergic to the religious values because they can see that the people who are holding them are just plastic, there's need in our city for sure, and we're going to get to that. But it starts in us, okay? So what has led to this ineffectiveness in the church in Laodicea? <clears throat> Jesus says this. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The reason for their failure in their works is not doctrinal error. He goes after that with another church already. It's not a failure to suffer faithfully. What he's going after is a slow, steady drift towards self-sufficiency and indifference to Jesus. A slow, subtle drift towards self-sufficiency, spiritually speaking, and indifference towards Jesus. My guess, my guess for you as you're hearing this is that it wouldn't be hard for you to recognize this in the Christian culture of Fort Worth. I bet you have a church in mind. I bet you have a person in mind, a group of people, a type of person that you'd say they are prone to or drifting towards self-sufficiency and indifference towards Jesus while still somehow remaining inside the whole Christian ecosystem. But I'm not worried about the Christian culture in Fort Worth out there except in so much as the issues out there have a tendency of making their way in here. Issues out there tend to make their way in here. It's just reality. We're in a current. We're existing inside of a context, and that context is one with self-sufficiency and indifference towards Jesus as a banner. Not one that we'd hold up as like, hey, this is what we really want to be, but it's a reality for who we are. 
or what our city is at least. And so there's dangerous things. I want you to hear me. There are dangerous things lurking in the shadows of our hearts. Not out there, in here. Dangerous things lurking in there. And I believe God wants to bring those into light, bring healing, and bring revival. Okay? And so I'll name one of the dangers in this way. Boredom with Jesus. I'm going to name this danger boredom with Jesus. Boredom with Jesus is born from a couple of places, okay? Now, you might, might think, hey, I'm not bored with Jesus. I come here every week, you know? Or I'm not bored with Jesus. I do all these things. I'm not bored with Jesus. These Laodiceans, these people in this city, they have a false sense of spiritual accomplishment. Jesus goes after what their, their lives because, not, be, not because he's, he doesn't tell them to try harder. He says, you don't know who you are. You don't know something about yourself. They have a false sense of spiritual accomplishment. We're good. We've got this. That's their, that's their mantra. We're good. We've got this. We're going to rebuild it on our own. Spiritual brokenness, I'll fix it. And so what happens when we have this boredom with Jesus, our need is very small. Our need is very, very small. These people, they've become, so if you get a, the way that the flu shot works, just in case, and if there's a doctor in here, there's one back there, uh, you can tell us where I'm wrong, but basically you take a broken down version of this uh, virus and you inject it into your body, and, and then your body learns to fight it against it. Okay, so it's basically a little broken down or a weak version of that. I know it's, it's not able to come to life in you. I know all that, so get your flu shot. But it is basically a way of introducing something to your body such that it can fight it. And so what happens is when we live in this place where there's religious values all around us, we're introduced to the values but not the person. And so all we do is just learn to try to, at a surface level, engage with the values. We're good. We've got this. Somehow, this made these Laodiceans immune to the deeper need that they have. That's the problem. They've got a deeper need, and they are somehow unaware of the need that they have. Jesus says, you think you're one thing, but you're something else. Side note, this hurts people outside of the church because we only offer them religious values and not the one who defined the values. Jesus. So our spiritual accomplishment is relative to our community, and it ends up being shallow values-based living. We check the box of our faith or religious bucket, and it frees us up to pursue real life. We can get down to the things that we really want to do, what we really want to be about, because we've done the thing that we were supposed to do. So maybe it isn't spiritual accomplishment that has numbed your heart or is trying to numb your heart. Maybe it's busyness with building your family. We've got a lot of families in our context, a lot of them. In our, in our church, not even just out there, in here. And man, there's a lot to do if you're going to lead your family well or take care of your family well or to accomplish the next thing for your family. So maybe it's busyness with building your family. Maybe it's an onslaught of difficulty that you think Jesus doesn't care about in your life. And somehow that is making you distanced from God, not closer to him. Or maybe it's a consistent failure to live up to your own values that has sent you hiding from God himself. You're just hiding from him. You're distanced from him. You're numb to him. My guess is if we have a failure to function powerfully in this culture, it is rooted in our distorted view of self, who we are in Christ Jesus. 
And so if revival is the first step to where God is leading us, which I think it is, let's look at what Jesus says to this ancient church. How does he uh, call them into revival? How does he invite them into revival? And again, I don't know where your heart's at in that. I don't know if you're like the Laodiceans. I just know that we live in a culture that's a lot like theirs. And I wonder, just after conversations here and there, working, walking with people, uh, I wonder if in this season you would long for some kind of calling back into the heart of God, some kind of reignition of God's love for you in your life, an active experience of his love and his care and acceptance, approval, and purpose for your life. I wonder if that's there. So he says, Jesus, what he says, Jesus says in uh, Revelation 3, 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So Jesus says this, he says, I counsel you. What would it be like to get counsel from Jesus? The amen, the beginning of God's creation. What does he tell them to do? He says, buy from me, come to me. What does he want you to buy from him? What does he want you to get from him? Gold refined by fire. He wants you to have true wealth. He wants you to have white garments. What are white garments? This is a picture of your righteousness before God. And he wants you to have this ability to see rightly. He wants you to have real direction in your life. So you think you're good, but you're needy. We think we're good, but we're needy. And so revival begins here. It begins with need. You want to know where revival, if, if we're going to pursue revival as a church, hey, the direction we want to head in is revival. You know where we're going to head? We're going to head straight into our need. That's where we're going to head. Okay, so we are needy. Um, think about a tree. I have a, there's a picture of a tree, okay? We'll call it a worship tree, okay? And, and here's what I want you to see is that uh, the seeds of the worship tree, they're planted in the soil of need. Those roots down there, that's your need. The trunk, that's, that's, uh, that's your love for God. The branches, that's your obedience. So if you want to see transformation in our culture or something happening through our church, none of that, none of that even in your own life will worship really take root, not until you water the roots. Okay? We are needy, and so we have to pour water Give time, get, go after our need, which is right down in the soil, okay? And so uh, this starts, so, so, so revival starts with need, and then it leads to Jesus, okay? That's where, that's where Jesus says. He says, hey, you're needy, and then what does he say? Come to me. So he says, uh, let, let your need be met in Jesus. And here's what's really great about this, church. Hey, if you're really tracking with this and you're like, okay, great, now I need to just come to Jesus, the same thing that we say all the time. Yeah, it's the same thing. Until we actually start doing it, then, then revival will take place. Okay, but not a second before that. Not a second before that. And here's the beautiful thing about it. He's not sending you somewhere else. Jesus is not sending this church, hey, you, you guys need to go find some gold somewhere else, pick up some white clothes somewhere else, and then find something to fix your eyes, and then come back and see me. He's saying, come to me, I've got everything you need. I got everything you need right here. If you need wealth, I've got wealth for you. If you need righteousness, I'll clothe you in mine. If you need something to make your eyes be able to see, I can fix your eyes. 
Let Jesus meet our need. He has everything we need. Revival, if you want to know what it looks like, it looks like longing for real spiritual wealth. I'm not saying you have it. I'm saying you're longing for it. There's something that's sparking inside your heart that's saying, hey, I'm longing to have real spiritual wealth, not man-made wealth. Okay, revival looks like longing for real righteousness, not man-made righteousness. Okay, and revival looks like longing for real spiritual health, not man-made health and well-being. That's what revival looks like. And I think God wants revival in our church and the members of our church because he loves us. I think God loves this church. Here's how Jesus continues. This is what he says to at least this church in Laodicea. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Turn, turn, turn. That's what he's telling them. Behold, why, why, should you, why should you turn? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Everybody uses this as an evangelistic text. I think it's a revival text. Fix your eyes. Here, so here's, here's what I hear. I hear a knock. And I want you to listen for a knock. Listen for it on these great big wooden doors in the back of this building. Listen for a knock. Listen for it on the doors of your own home. Listen for a knock. Listen at the doors of your own office. Listen for it on the doors of your own life. And when you hear that knock, when God does that in your life, begins to prompt something in your soul to come to him, to come near to him, to return to him. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the lyrics of the song that I mentioned earlier. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. It is his love that leads him to knock at the doors of your life. It is his love that leads him to knock at the door of this church and ask very kindly, can I come in and change you? Lead you where I want you to go. Take courage, hold on, remember where our help comes from. Jesus, our redemption, our salvation is in his blood. That's the lyrics of the song. So I'll tell you this, revival may begin in a moment. In fact, I think it does begin in a moment, but it is not quick. It begins in a moment, but it is not quick. That's why we're saying, hey, for five years, if we could just lay ourselves towards one thing, point ourselves towards one thing, invest in this one thing, we're going to unpack revival of what and to what. But first things first, oh, that we would see revival. We believe that is where God is leading our church over a season, not just in a moment. Not just in a moment. We're not looking for a momentary shift to shift back the next moment. We're looking for a season radical, spirit-empowered movement in our body. And so there's a couple, uh, a husband and wife who came into my life recently, and when I think about uh, revival, that's who comes to my mind. But if you saw them and if you interacted with them, I don't think that you might see revival. By their own account, they're not thriving in their faith. But in the last season, here's what they have done. They've went from moving further and further from Jesus to moving closer and closer to him. They went from uh, holding on and uh, controlling more and more of their life to surrendering more and more to him. They went from ignoring his word more and more to listening to his word more and more, confessing sin more and more, believing the gospel more and more, just a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen to this. Revival is in the turn. 
Revival is in the turn. They went from this direction to this direction. That's, that's revival. It's in the turn. It might be small. But you keep choosing yes, saying yes, saying yes, opening the door, yes, 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 I hear the knock, yes. That's revival. So maybe you're already walking in this kind of season. Maybe somehow God has gotten a hold of your heart and he's pulling you. Maybe, maybe he, before this, he's already pulling you this direction. Maybe he's already stirring something in you. Maybe he's laying a groundwork for something crazy in your life that's good and strong and powerful and transformative. Good. Perfect. I think God has you in our midst to multiply your kind. Okay? Good. So for this dream that we're inviting you into, uh, that we're inviting you to begin dreaming with us, okay, the direction we're heading as a church, what I want you to hear today, we're going to talk, we're going to unpack what uh, this full statement looks like, but the first step of that is revival. Longing for revival in us and in our congregation. It's taking a step towards Jesus. Okay, so the last thing I want you to see, I, I told you uh, where we started from, needing revival, or step is turning towards Jesus, acknowledging our need, and letting Jesus meet our needs. Okay, and now where is this ultimately heading? What is the vision for our church ultimately? It's the thing that has uh, captivated my attention from the beginning of this process. Uh, whatever we're dreaming as a church will fit into God's dreams for the whole church. I want you to hear that. Whatever we are dreaming of as a church, that is five years on the road to what God is dreaming about planning going to do for his entire church for all of time. Do you understand? So this is not a five year for the ends. It's just five years to the ends. Okay? And so here's what it says in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. This is God's, uh, he, he's telling you what his dream is for mankind, his creation, his treasured possession, this is his dream for it. If he was gonna stand up in front of the Lincoln Memorial and say, I have a dream, here's what God, I think, would say. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, listen to this, Behold, I'm making all things new. This is where we're going. And it's only our momentary success or well-being that throws us off the scent of something so much better. This is God's vision for his people. That, that's where we're going. All things new. It's the best of dreams, is it not? Do you have some place, are you in your world right now aware of some place that you're longing for all things to be made new? Some death, some mourning, some pain, some tears that you're saying, oh God, that they would be gone. He's saying they're going to be gone, I promise. They're going to be gone because God's dreams always come true. And his dreams are the best of dreams. That's where we're ultimately heading. We want revival on the road to that.
And it's God's dream that has captivated me when I waded into the waters of vision, the process of praying through, wrestling through, waiting to understand where God is leading us. And here's what's interesting to me is that Martin Luther King Jr., he was borrowing from God's dream. You can hear it laced. He would tell you the same thing. It's laced throughout that whole speech. It's, it's really like this magnificent thing. His way, his dream was on the way to God's dream too. And um, it's this dream, God's vision, God's dream, that we want to usher as shepherds of this flock, each of our members toward. We want all of you, everyone. We want our own hearts to come. Come along now. Come, come into this. Towards that. And so we're just on our way to that. And over the next five years, we're going to pursue revival. Revival of what? Revival of joyful worship. That's what we're going to talk about next week. A revival of joyful worship. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, would you, would you do that now? Um, where, where there is a there's been a staleness, a dryness, a weariness, a disconnection, maybe a hiding from you in the lives of my friends, the people of this church, God. Would you in this moment break through, not in a way that we can control, not with the right words, not with the right anything, just because you're the king of all kings, because you can, because you love your people, because you are real and you are coming back again. Would you break through now? Would you allow us in this church to see heaven breaking through right now in our season, in our moment, in this day and age, God, not sometime later. Would you come now in power and remind us of where you are going to take us one day and give us confidence that you will get us there would you break down walls of addiction or walls of just even apathy in our lives towards you would you break through and remind us of who you are and who we are in you god give grip our hearts this morning don't let us leave from this place the same and even if it's just the turn just a little small turn we'll give you glory for that god hearts don't accidentally end up with you. Souls don't end, accidentally end up around that throne, worshiping you for all things made new forever. They end up there because you love them. So I trust in your love for these people and for my own heart. Move in us and power God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's what we get to do, church. Uh, you, can, you can just respond where you're at. You can take a minute and say, hey, there's something, something's true in here for me. I need something here. You don't even have to know what it is. You want to talk to somebody about that? I'll be, I'll be right back there. There's nothing you're going to say to me that's going to be surprising. Or off limits. Nothing that I probably haven't believed or thought in the last like two weeks. So come, come meet me there if that's something is going on with you. Come after this, we're going to have a Q&A for uh, anybody who wants to talk more with all of our elders. Okay? But first, there's this bread and there's this wine or juice, and um, it's, uh, it's just a picture of God's love for you. It is so wild, I'm telling you. If, you. if you have a kid, you know how much you love your kid. And the more I know my daughter, the more I love her. And um, G Jesus was forever with the Father. There was not a day, a moment in all of history past 
all of time past that he was separated from God the Father except for this one time. He said, I'm going to go, Dad, because you want me to go. And the Father said, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you to rescue all of my other kids. Okay? That's what we're doing here. Is this is just the moment where Jesus took all of God's wrath on him, got his flesh ripped open, his torn up, broken body for you. And then he got his blood poured out because God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you that's a promise that can't be broken, that I'm going to love you forever no matter what. And it's signed in the blood of Jesus. So when you dip bread into wine, it's not magical except for that your soul might be reminded, maybe even sparked, to reminded, to be reminded of just how much God loves you, what he was willing to do to get you back. Will he not much more give you all things? He already gave you his son. So come and receive that. You don't have to do anything beforehand. You don't have to get yourself right. You don't have to say anything special. Just come. Come and receive it. And we get to sing some songs. Love you, church.